Hey everyone, this is Chris, and you're listening to One Cross Radio, and today I'm joined by a almost lifelong friend. Like, I've known him for about 15 or so years, uh, worked with him, and a just great guy. He married me and my wife, Jill, uh, Pastor Dave Lombardo. Dave, how you doing today, man? I'm doing really, really good, Chris. Good to be with you. Good to be with you, man. Uh, ah, and if... You, the listener, could see uh, Dave's majestic beard. You would just be almost in awe. <laughs> yes, well, you're lucky. At the time of the recording, it's only going to be on my face for another uh, week or so. So, Chris, you are one of the lucky ones that get to see it. I, I'm glad I get to see it because I know we're we're actually hanging out in a couple weeks, and by then it, it'll be gone. And yeah. if I hadn't seen it in its full glory beyond Will Riker TNG <laughs> glory... Uh, I would be devastated walking and being like, where'd it go? <laughs> like like a toddler who's only seen their father with a beard? I'd be like, wait, who's this guy? I I'm haven't just going to say that because I'm, I'm guarantee you my kids are going to freak out when I, when I come home without it on. Um, so, yeah, Chris and I were talking earlier, and so we're doing like this uh, youth group fundraiser thing, and there's a couple of kids who have a bounty on my beard. And so basically they're trying to get whatever, a thousand bucks or fifteen hundred bucks, and if they get all that in one shot on one day... Uh, then they're going to shave it right there on the spot. So that's happening March fourth. So oh anyways. man, well we'll be uh, we'll be praying for that, <laughs> and yeah. then uh, you can maybe start showing the kids pictures of you from a teen when you didn't have a beard, just being like, right, yeah. get used to this, get used to this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so Dave, I've had the benefit of knowing you for uh, for years and knowing your journey. Uh, when I met you, we I think we met at uh, TDI. The, the Thursday nights uh, youth group out of the Salvation Army Church. Yeah, that's true. That's a long time ago, man. And then yeah. we, we bonded over a love of metal and Metallica, and then you were in Solidian. Uh, yeah. And then I, I'm, I'm just giving away spoilers. Can you share with us a bit about your, uh, your life story and your testimony? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents were um, both raised Roman Catholic and kind of departed from that in the middle of their teen years and so when they were you know dating and getting ready to be married and all that kind of stuff they got exposed to a christian evangelical um church uh or uh, sorry an italian like evangelical church is pentecostal nature and they invited them out to uh, an event and my parents heard the gospel and after uh, eventually they finally uh, trusted god and so that happened before uh they had kids and so um we were born, and, and like church is a huge part of our life. My dad was always on the board or doing something. My mom ran a bunch of programs, and so uh, we were like there multiple times a week. We were like um, hardcore Pentecostal Sundays, and so we'd have really long Sunday morning services, and then we would you know run home for a, a power nap, and then back to the church for really long evening services. Oh wow! And um, so just there a lot. And as I think back on my childhood, like. Some of my best memories are in that church building. It was this amazing, like, 150-year-old church building out near High Park in Toronto. And, and, um, yeah, just really good friends there, people who uh, deeply cared about me, and I cared about them, their families. It was a really good time. And so um, our our tradition was that, uh, you know, we were always asked on a regular basis, you know, do you want to accept Jesus into your heart? (laughs) And uh, I was asked that, like, whatever, with whatever frequency, once a month or something, whoever came up in the kids' curriculum. And I remember thinking whenever I was asked, even at a young age, like, yeah, I definitely want him in there. I, like, I didn't realize he came back out. I thought, like, he would stick around for a while. And um, so that was kind of my experience. But when I was 12, 13-ish, 
um, uh, you know, many other kids in our in our youth group were getting baptized at that time, and I could say, yeah, for sure, no, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe He forgave me uh, of my sins as much as I could actually understand the weight of that at the time. Um, and uh, so I was baptized, and so got heavily involved. Had an amazing youth pastor was um, involved in, you know, serving, started playing a little bit of music and stuff like that. And then when I was 15, it hit the fan in a big way. And so our church went through um, a whole bunch of political difficulty. There was a bit of a split that took place in the church. A number of families left, including our own. And that really, really um, jaded me for mm. quite a while. And so um, I don't think I ever lost faith in God. Like, I always believed he was real. It was more like I just didn't want anything to do with him or anybody else that had anything to do with him. And so, again, that's 14, 15 years old, and going on beside, like, behind the scenes and all that, I'd started taking a medication to take care of some acne problem that I had, and with that, which had side effects of um, extreme sensitivity to the sunlight and uh, depression were, like, side effects that an acne medication gave me. So it was not, like, as if I, I had, had no idea myself, about that. I didn't want anybody to see me because I was ashamed of how I looked. I went on these pills that were helping my skin clear up, but were making me totally miserable. Um, so it was around that time, Chris, that we met. That's when yeah. I started getting into heavy metal, um, which I probably would have gotten into heavy metal even if I didn't get depressed um, <laughs> because I just love it. Yeah. But um, that was kind of what was happening at that stage in life. So I was always kind of in and around churches for a while. Like, so there was this ball hockey thing where we met the Salvation Army. Yeah. And other guys in my band at the time in high school uh, were connected to that church. And then uh, we continued to be connected through Calvary Church, right? Where yeah, exactly. I was around once in a while on Sundays and got involved with the day camp there. But even through a lot of that, like my, it was more just like something to do where I had friends and I was still really not certain about my faith. And I was really two-sided because I would spend Thursdays and Fridays, Saturdays playing clubs with our band in some dingy places, um, you know, and, and doing all sorts of things. And then, you know, Sunday I'd be in church playing drums because they let me do that. And I figured, well... You know, at least I can kind of have the best of both worlds. And so I was kind of doing this two-faced thing until I was uh, 18 or almost 19, and I'm at a, a Morbid Angel concert and uh, down at the <laughs> Opera House in Toronto, and the opening yep. act was a band named Behemoth, and he went on like this anti-gospel, anti-Christian rant. There's like a 1,000 people or something, more, maybe 2,000 people in the in the concert venue, and he goes on this anti-Christian rant, like, who are the Christians? He's German, so the way he spoke was kind of broken English. Who are the Christians? Uh, we've got to find them, we've got to destroy them, we must hate them, like eradicate them from the planet, all that kind of stuff. And I remember stand, standing in there and like being like, you can't talk, you can't talk about me like that, you can't talk about my people like that. And in that moment, you know, I'm not like super um, charismatic or anything like that, but I remember having a very distinct moment where it was as if God was speaking to me, not audibly, but just saying something that nobody else could have in a voice that I'd never heard before, an inner voice I'd never heard before. Um, where I was basically being asked, like, okay, what are you doing with your life? And I had two words pop into my head that I still resonate and um, think about to this day. It was music or Messiah. And it was almost like I was being given this choice. Like, what are you going to pursue? Are you going to pursue this heavy metal lifestyle, this band, which, you know, was a lot of fun, but a lot very destructive? Mm. Um, or, are you gonna, or, or Messiah, Jesus. And I remember it distinctly because Messiah is not always a word that gets used. We usually talk about Jesus Christ and not necessarily Jesus Messiah, yeah. the one who is promised, the one who is chosen from eternity past to be the one who'd come and save the world from their sins. And so um, that messed me up for like a while. I eventually quit the band. Um, and that was hard because those were like childhood friends in that band. But quit that band and uh, the band fell apart after that, actually. Um, so that was kind of like, you know, whatever had happened. And then and around there, I got plugged in. Again, it was still at Calvary Church, but to a guy named Gary Coburn, who was running a youth center 
called the Abuse Center. Gare Bear. Yeah, Gare Bear. And he took yeah. me out for, for coffee and lunch and like was the first time I was able to ask real hard questions about faith um, that, you know, I'd never felt safe asking before. The, like part of the Italian culture, this is stereotypical, but also part of the church life that I grew up in was very much, you don't express your concerns. If you have a doubt, you don't raise it. You just keep that quiet. You got to put your best foot forward all the time. You got to look like you got to figure it out. And so Gary was one of the first people I met where I could totally just be who I was and, you know, swear a little bit and get angry a little bit and say, I don't know how I feel about this whole, you know, uh, whatever my issue was with the Bible at that time as I was learning it. And so um, then in there, I met Sandra, who's my, who I married eventually. She's been like this rock solid, faithful woman of God uh, since she was a little kid. And um, she would be the kid who, you know, when she was five, accepted Jesus. And then when she was asked again, you know, do you want to accept Jesus in your heart? And she would say, no, I don't need to. He's already there. So a very different kind of expression <laughs> of, of her faith, even at a young age. And yeah. she whipped me into shape, man. She, she took her faith so seriously. And that was totally instrumental. Uh, so between her and Gary, totally instrumental in getting me back on track with God. And so I do believe I was saved at a young age when I professed yeah. faith. Um, but I don't think I experienced the reality of the weight and the goodness and the beauty of the gospel and its power in my daily life until I was about 20, um, which is 10 years ago. And so um, at that point, at 20 years old, things started to happen fast in terms of how God transformed me. I had been kicked out of school because I failed my way out of York University because I couldn't read a book, I couldn't write a paper. And within a year, I was locking myself in the room reading books on theology, writing sermons and blog, like just doing everything I could to reflect and to learn and gobble it all up. Total transformation, renewal and regeneration of my mind. Um, absolutely happening there and got plugged into ministry. So served yeah. at the Center for a while, side by side with you, Chris, and yeah, I remember. others in the crew. Some, um, <laughs> some of the best Friday nights of my life were spent uh, in that youth center together, ministering to some hard, challenging kids. Um, and then from there, uh, we got, we got, we felt God's call to move us into a different kind of ministry. I don't didn't think uh, I would be doing kind of like outreach mm-hmm. um, stuff for forever, and so ended up getting plugged in at a church called People's Church in Toronto, which um, blew my mind because that's a big, big church. They like have like four thousand people or something yeah. on a weekend, and the youth well, group at that church was like it, the size of Calvary, like massive. And I like, yeah. had no idea what I was doing. It's like but a, they, it's almost like a mega church, right? Like in terms of its yeah. size and. Yeah, for sure. Depending on who you ask, some people say a mega church is anything bigger than a thousand. Yeah. And so, um, in Canada, one of the bigger churches in Canada, for sure. Um, and so, uh, that was not even on my radar, even though I knew they were looking for a youth pastor. But you know, God clearly moved and did some amazing things. And I had five and a half years of amazing ministry there, where I grew significantly and was able to, by God's grace, have some good impact on the ministry, build it up there. And I uh, love doing that. Got to preach a whole bunch and got to be with some of the best youth volunteers in Canada that I've ever met or anywhere, really. Like, really the most, like, so just, uh, I almost want to say addicted to grace. Like, just so in love with Jesus and so motivated by, you know, even though their brokenness, motivated by the fact that God is good. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so that was life there. And then in the last two years, started to sense a burden. Okay, it's something else is popping up. You're not going to do youth ministry forever. And I really gained a passion for church planting. Mm-hmm. And um, it started with, um, that passion started in the wrong place. It started actually as a passion to uh, want to prove everybody else wrong and basically say, well, all you dummies don't know how to do any of this, so let me go do it. 
you know, give me all the money, give me all the power, and we'll go fix it. It's totally like armchair pastor, you know, or when we watch the news and see our politicians disappointing us, and we say, well, if I was in charge for a day, yeah, um, if you were in charge for a day, if I was in charge for a day, or if you were in charge for a day, Chris, and took Justin Trudeau's job, like, the whole country would be on fire. Oh, no, <laughs> no that's not even offensive to me. I'm right. like, yeah. I, I'm not that guy. Uh, yeah, all of us. Yeah. So, so that was the attitude I had, though, and God broke me down because I wrote up a big proposal saying, here's an idea. I have for planting a church out of people's as a sending church, and I got rejected. And um, I took it very, very personally, mm. and it really offended me um, and hurt me deeply inside. But God used that as a, as a, as um, God used that to, to change me, to mold yeah. me, and to change my perspective and say, you can't do anything without me, anyways. And if you're going to try and do it without me, I don't want any part of it. It was like God was saying, and so um, it totally humbled me was able to reconcile and you know uh, you know be on really great terms with our senior pastor and others at the church uh, and so when I came to start talking about you know feeling that God was calling us to move on they were so supportive and liberating and freed me to go and explore this and um, got connected to a church where I'm at now called Upper Room Community Church and so we're in Vaughan and um, uh, basically when we were we live up in York region, uh, where Sandra and I and our kids live, and yeah. so um, Vaughn is a part of York region, and we had felt, mm-hmm. okay, no, we love where we are, we, we, we're starting to understand what the culture is like in York region, as big as it is, and as varied as it is from place to place, um, and so um, Upper Room Community Church has a vision to reach York region, to reach Vaughn and beyond, and so there's so much in line there, um, and so right now we're in the outset of a 10-year vision to see five congregations uh, reaching 3,000 people in the places we live. And so really what we're saying is, uh, how can we multiply our church? How can we multiply our ministries? How can we be involved in reaching um, as many people as we possibly can? And uh, I got, so yeah, started here in October as a teaching and site pastor. And so I alternate uh, preaching responsibilities with our lead pastor every other week, so uh, which is like an amazing gift to have, to be 30 years old and be a primary communicator in a church is like, uh, just such a such a huge gift from God, yeah. And um, to be able to do that and, and grow in that area, continue to grow in that area, um, and then I oversee uh, a, a congregation in the town of Bolton. So our church in Vaughan has partnered with a church in Bolton for a year, mm-hmm. and I'm responsible for overseeing uh, the ministry that happens up there. So that's kind of like a both and that's kind of like a, a testimony and call to ministry, and then where I've ended up, which is. Um, kind of how my life has been. You know, yeah. That turning point at 20, 21 years old when I abandoned the idea of you know being a rock star um, and got kicked out of school and didn't have a chance at becoming a teacher anymore. Uh, that was kind of the tra- trajectory I was on. Um, it was from there where I couldn't actually see anything other than doing some form of ministry. Um, and so, yeah, just God's faithfulness and all of it and keeping me close to Him. And yeah, I, I think if I wasn't in ministry, I wouldn't be a Christian. Um, and I mean that seriously because, you know, when you have to prepare yourself to preach or to counsel other people or to uh, train people in evangelism or as Ephesians 4 says, you know, re- uh, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Yeah. If it wasn't my responsibility to be doing those things and to be going before God on my knees like all the time saying, God, help me with this now. Um, I don't think I would even like have a need for him. So there's a way that I think he keeps me accountable and shows me his, faithful- his faithfulness by keeping me tightly knit to work um that he's got set out for me to do so yeah um, yeah so anyways and like i i've had the sorry i've got two side thoughts uh one is like that that thing you just said there about if you weren't in ministry how 
uh, you might not be a Christian. Like, I said something similar at a Mishfam a couple weeks ago where I'm just like, it was so much easier to be on top of going into the Word daily and, like, being diligent in prayer and relying when it is part of your job. Because you're, there is a huge difference when it's on your effort and on God's effort. And I'm like, and now that that's not there, that's areas that I used to praise the Lord through him flourished in. Like, right now, th- those are the struggles. And I'm just like, it, so that, that resonates. So I'm, gl- I'm glad you shared that. And then also just, I remember seeing some of the, those turning points. Because like I've said, I've had the benefit to know you and I consider you a brother and you're a great friend. And seeing those turning points like i didn't i didn't even know some of the stuff because <laughs> you you kept it like close to the chest so thank you for thank you for your openness and i'm i'm thrilled to see how god's evolved you and changed you and know even more now so bro thank you <laughs> yeah it's been a fun journey that we uh that we've all been on together man with yeah our, with our crew of guys it's been it's been amazing to see how god's been working there and yeah and continuing to knit us together so it's pretty good yeah yeah um, all right, so you, I think you've talked about some of it a little bit, but what, um, actually, you did answer this question. So, um, you have been a pastor in a couple different churches, some moderate size, like Calvary, uh, Peoples, which is comparable to a mega church, and then, uh, even with its Canada's celebrity pastor of Charles Price. Um, sorry, my phone's messing up. And then now you're in a church that's without a building. Uh, mm-hmm. You you guys meet in a theater. So what are like what have some of the differences in that been, and how have you seen the Lord at work in those three very different setups? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. The um, so. The, one, of, one of the things about a, about a portable church or about a mobile church is that there seems to be a sense of everybody's got to be in doing something. Everyone plays a role in all of this. And so with Upper Room, like our church was planted in Vaughan 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Calvary Church, I think, was probably around 80 or 90 years old. I don't they're, know. I think their 90th is on Mother's Day this year. That's amazing. I know. People's Church is coming up on 90 years as well. Um, and so not only with peoples in Calvary do you have uh, church buildings, but you also have established, like, huge history, yeah. huge heritage. Um, and so with, with, a, with a newer church being only 12 years old and not having a building, um, the dynamics of those two things are that, well, in the new building, without having a building, everybody's kind of all in. Um, we haven't been around long enough to have people who have become set in their ways, although I'm sure there are people who are set in their ways, not nearly as much as people who have been around in a church for 50, 60 years yeah. at another place where there's a particular culture or tradition or you know unspoken r- realities, unspoken rituals that nobody tells you about until you screw up and don't <laughs> mention it or whatever. Um, so that, that's, that's one of the one of the major differences I noticed. Now, don't get me wrong, at Calvary, there were beautiful, yeah. servant-hearted people, uh, peoples, obviously. I mean, out of the 4,000 attendees, I think that there's something like 1,500 people on the volunteer roster, so it's a tremendous amount of people who are serving wow. in various capacities, yeah. Um, but there's just a different dynamic when you're you know, a smaller church and, and you're without a building. You have to be more nimble. Mm-hmm. You can't assume that uh, anything's going to be done for you. 
Um, and so I even remember at Peoples, you know, we had a, an incredible custodial staff there that you submitted your drawings for your meetings. And when you got to the room, it was set up tables, chairs, coffee, fruits, whatever you needed. It was all there ready to go. And uh, I actually eventually ended up canceling those services because we'd have people show up and not have to do any work. And so by not putting chairs out, it automatically created an, auto, an opportunity for you know, our youth volunteers or our teenagers or whoever to, to start setting up and serving. You come to a church plant, well, a newer church without a building, mm-hmm. not a church plant anymore. We're very established now, 12 yeah. years in. Um, and that still exists in that you know, you've got to be creating opportunities for people to be serving all the time. But because you don't have a building it's obvious that there's work to be done. Yeah. You know, you walk into a room and if nobody set anything up, you're what you're going to sit on the floor. So in Bolton, we're in a community center. It's just a big open multi-purpose room in the movie theater. At least there are seats, but the amount of work that goes in for a couple hours before service starts, uh, there's lots of work to do there. So those are some of like the, 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 you know, it's kind of maybe surfacey beyond that. I mean, there's just varied differences in terms of, um, the, the culture that our church is uh, trying to establish at Upper Room. And I don't mean to be comparative. I love churches in general. And I think part of the power that churches have in their witness and influence on communities is their differences. I think the unity that we have in one Jesus, like in one Lord, Mm -hmm. um, but is represented in a variety of ways. I think that's actually part of our effect. A friend of mine says there's, um, there is, uh, one church isn't for everybody, but there is a church for everybody. Nice. Um, you know, and so uh, that I mean, part of the culture that we're trying to establish here is like very much come as you are. You know, our our, our preaching style is very much um, we're approaching or trying to speak to people who are de-churched, um, grew up going to church. We have a lot of uh, people who walked away from the Catholic Church that come to our church and stuff. So just kind of meeting that, um, and we're not really trying to set an agenda or a direction other than saying, hey, we want to just be authentically pointing one another towards Jesus. We have a deep faith. And it's rooted in Jesus, and we have a wide embrace, meaning like whatever your walk of life is, you're welcome here, and we are going to do all that we can to point you in the direction of following after our Lord. So, um, yeah, I appreciate being in, in the size church we're in right now and in the situation because um, you don't know what's going to happen every week. <laughs> you know, like last week at, at the movie theater, um, all of the speakers on the right side didn't work. Oh uh, because gosh. Cineplex had blown a fuse or I don't know what happened, something happened, and so we only had power coming out of the left side. Now... That doesn't happen in a, I mean, it could happen anywhere, but because we're at the mercy of a movie theater, we had to roll with it. And so all the sound for the band, for the preaching, everything came out of one side of the speaker, uh, you know? And so like, that's, you know, if you're in another church where you have your building and you've got a crew that's going to go and fix all that, but yeah. we couldn't actually do that. That was on them. Um, not to mention just everything else that has to go up and down every week. So we literally yeah. keep our church in a box and then unload that box. So, um, yeah, size obviously has an impact on it as well. You know, at a church uh, the size of People's Church, you know, with 60 people on staff and that many volunteers, organizationally it's just uh, monstrous. It's so big and, and handled so much differently. Mm-hmm. We're here, we're six staff, and we have quite a crew of volunteers, but six of us, we can all sit around a table and have a staff meeting. We can talk through various uh, elements of ministry at, at, youth, er, at People's Church. Given its size, the staff members were more specialists in mm-hmm. that. Uh, I was, it's not, I'm not really a youth specialist, but I was specializing or focusing on youth ministry and young adults, uh, where here you kind of do a bunch of different things. So my main responsibility is teaching and multiplication strategies, but we do a little bit of everything. Everybody does a little bit of everything. Yeah. And so until you get to a size where you can start recruiting and, and, and growing your staff, that those are some of the, some of the, some of the, the main things that pop into my head anyways about the, the differences. Yeah. 
and thank you for that, man. That's uh, that's in- interesting stuff. And sorry, I, I started chuckling when you said that the left speaker, uh, the right speaker wasn't working. I'm just like, what? Did, in my head, I'm like, did it sound like when when one of your headphones isn't working and you're listening to the Beatles and all you get on Yellow Submarine is the vocals and the guitar in one, but you're missing the drums and the bass? <laughs> like, so what they ended up doing is they ended up cranking it. Um, to compensate and then it, it actually led to a feedback but it was the best we could do if anybody was going to hear like yeah. so those are one of the things the age of our church you don't have people scowling and looking around because we're young and fluid and we know that we, <laughs> there was a time when we had no mics anyways yeah people can remember back to that wow whereas church like peoples or calvary which are like established so long nobody can think back to the bare like to the roots or the very beginning some people can but yeah more often than not so we don't remember our humble beginnings yeah it's now so established here you got people that were part of the planting team, and they know. So when it happens, it's like, yeah, this is normal for us. This is not. <laughs> yeah, it's more <laughs> of a. It, it can be, and I'm not slamming Calvary in any way, but in that situation, it's more of a. All right, we can laugh and roll with it because we <laughs> we remember. Whereas, at, like I was not on the sound team, but I was on the the PowerPoint team, and it's like when something went wrong, you had at least three people looking back, being yeah. like, "What's up? Yeah, when you're fixing this." So. Yeah. And, and, well, I played drums at Calvary, man, so I got, off, yeah. I got as many scowls as you could possibly imagine. <laughs> you went one out. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's not. Let's, let's, let's not. We're not trying to slam anybody. I love those people. I really do genuinely love no, Calvary Church. Ex- like, they were oh. all foundational in the opportunities they gave me in ministry. Oh, and... Yeah. And no, no, and I and I hear you. And as much like it's it's still my home church. Like as much as I love the new church and the. St. Clair and what they're about, what we're doing. I'm still like, I love Calvary. I love going back to it. And it's the opportunities they gave me through ministry, through the food bank. And then Gary as well for me. I'm just like, man, the Lord, the Lord used Calvary so much. And it's Absolutely. 90 years. Wonderful. Praise God. <laughs> um, sorry. How do you, the wait, nope, skipped ahead. Uh, church plan. Dang it, man. I'm just skipping all the questions. <laughs> Uh, I might, it might not be helping you. I think I'm bouncing around a lot. So. It's, it's all good. I love the bouncing, though. Um, here we are. What are some of the ways that Upper Room is involved in the community in Vaughn? Mm-hmm. So, uh, when I... Yeah, so could you, like, actually, I meant to ask you this earlier. If you could expand on the question a little bit. Yeah. Meaning, like, in terms of, like, how we're serving the immediate community, or what do you... Could you just... What do you mean by that? Essentially that, actually. Like, how are you, how are you guys serving the community? Um... Is there, yeah, that's basically the question. You asked it better than I did. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, when I first read this question, one of the things I thought of immediately was like, what sort of social service projects are we a part of? You know, are we connected to a food bank? Or are we connected to whatever, a shelter or anything yeah. like that? And um, it kind of brought me down this rabbit trail of thoughts, which were, uh, which is that sometimes I think when we think about, um, you know, reaching our community, mm-hmm. Um, we can automatically go to social justice issues, which are really important, good things. Like people need to be fed; they deserve to be fed. Um, you know, need to have a warm place, especially in our climate and all these other kinds of things. Um, and so, you know, when it goes to those kinds of things, we're involved with. Uh, you know, we've got a Syrian refugee family, and we've been involved in that in a variety of ways. Um, but given the kind of the demographics of of our city, um, we have been more situated where part of what we do is more we're reaching families through uh, gospel initiatives so for example like doing a marriage course where we will invite um, 
you know, all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds to be a part of a marriage course. And while they are taking this course, typically, you know, in their homes or wherever else, not just necessarily bringing them all into the church to do something, but meeting them in, and whether it be a pub or a school yeah. or something, doing the courses there, we get to expose them to, you know, uh, the version, the version of marriage that, you know, marriage in its truest sense, the truest version of marriage. Yeah. Um, or we do that through Alpha. And so what happens through Alpha is we invite our friends and our family members who don't know Jesus, who are from all different walks of life. And as they come and they share and they get to ask questions about faith, we find out, oh, you have such and such a need. You need a ride here and there. You need financial help. You know, that can go through a benevolent or a compassion fund. And so we, we kind of discern and figure it out that way. Um, and so we also, as a church, we're part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. So, you know, global ministry um, is very significant to us. And so we support ministry, ministers, missionaries serving in different parts of the world um, as well. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, we have, uh, we're also involved in some ending human trafficking uh, initiatives. And so, uh, you know, Vaughn is um, not unlike Toronto in that there's, uh, I mean, if even one person is being trafficked, uh, that's that's way too many. Yeah. And so we're involved in, we provide our space where we use our space to let various human trafficking uh, groups come and meet here. But then we're also a part of some where we're creating uh, kits which are given to women who have been rescued or who, who are leaving the sex trade. And, and that's a complicated thing, but we're involved in that. And we're, we're beginning to see traction there primarily just in having uh, an increased number of people who are paying attention and functioning as advocates. Yeah. Um, and we don't, that work is so tender and sensitive that we don't do it necessarily ourselves, but we support uh, specialist professionals who know how to, how to support women um, and, and children in those, in those various things. So, um, yeah, so it's a, those are the ways that we're involved in the community. And, and then beyond that, I mean, there's church planting. And so, you know, and, and church multiplication, which is one of the questions you wanted me to talk about. Yeah, here. that's I uh, feel it's important. Yeah. No, and uh, I'm so glad you added the thing about the uh, about the marriage course, because that is something you're, you're bringing to the community. And often when I ask this question, like, yes, in the back of my head, it's, it's somewhat so it, it is a bit social justice-y just because. It's to me, it's uh, something that's in the Bible, and when I see churches not doing stuff, that's where I'm like, okay, what's up though? Because there was a huge emphasis on, in the scripture on this, but beyond that, there, there's so much stuff beyond that. So when churches are only about the social justice piece, I'm like, no, we're missing stuff, other opportunities too. So thank you for for bringing those up. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. My, my, my thinking on that is if if you have an opportunity to give somebody five dollars who needs it to go buy their next meal but you don't have the opportunity to give them you know to talk about Jesus you still give them the five dollars yeah so I think the misnomer in it is that these they've been there's been a huge divide between the two where there's social justice and helping people so give somebody uh, bread to fill their belly and then there's this other side where it says no you're not helping anybody unless you give them the bread of life yeah and so I, I tend to say, well, I don't actually think it's a pendulum. I don't actually think it's a spectrum. I think that these things are wrapped up with one within each other. And so Jesus, when he feeds the 5,000 people, what does he do? First of all, he was on his way to, I think his brother, or his cousin John just had his head cut off. And he finds a way to stop. He finds time to stop and have compassion on them. Yeah. So I think that justice in serving other people starts with getting over yourself and your own agenda and saying, I'm going to meet the needs of the people right in front of me. And it says he heals their sick. And he, he would have been preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom because that's what he did everywhere he went. So those things are wrapped up. Yeah. And then he works this incredible miracle to feed people to the point where there's leftovers, which I think tells us that you know the type of compassion we have when we serve people to meet justice issues or whatever it is, 
should be so far and beyond what we even thought was possible, mm-hmm. which were the extreme, and God actually multiplied all that, those bread and fish, right? So as we're generous, God does incredible things and works miracles in all of that. So I would just like to see the divide broken down where, you know, people on one side who say, well, I'm going to preach, and, and if they listen to me, then I'll give them the food. Um, I think you need to not knock that off. And then yeah. if you're, you're just giving people food, um, you need to always be trying to find an opportunity where you can do that. Don't force it. Don't make it their price of admission is you yeah. don't listen to get food. Like if all you can do is give somebody that without even an explanation, you do that because that's the Christ-like thing to mm-hmm. do. Um, so I'm, I'm very much with you. I don't think it needs to be – I don't think it's an either or, either or. I think it's a both and. Yeah, they're together, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you just you you touched on it before we got sidetracked. Um, let's talk about church planning, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So when we talk about it here, we don't necessarily talk about church planting specifically. We talk about mul- church multiplication. Okay. And so there's, um, I mean, there's a whole lot of ways you can talk about this. Church planting typically is when a planter, a lead planter, takes a team and goes into an area and starts from scratch to build a church right um to begin building a church and so that's not exactly what we're doing that is what happened when upper room was planted 12 years ago rexdale alliance down in etobicoke said we're going to send a group of people to vaughn because that's a a growing suburban it's a growing city um, north of where we are in the city and so they went parachuted in kind of started to do it where there's no existing Uh, ministry. What we're doing is a little different from that in that we're not opposed to that. That might happen down the road, but what we're trying to do right now is we're just looking at where our congregation lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when we look at a map and we put little pins on Google Maps all over the place, we see that we have a collection of people that uh, are east of Vaughan in a a place called King City. Mm -hmm. So what that does is it puts on our radar um, okay, we've got you know forty or fifty people driving from King City into Vaughan. It's about a fifteen or twenty minute drive. Because there's a huge collection of people there already, it actually makes sense to start thinking about that's where our next site might be. Right. Someone who's a part of a church might be willing to drive fifteen or twenty minutes to church on a Sunday, but your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus or want anything to do with them is very unlikely to drive twenty minutes. So if you could have a, an opportunity or an expression of your church mission, vision, values. Mm-hmm. in your neighborhood it's more likely you'll be able to invite your your friends kids and invite your friends or your you know you can invite their teenager to youth group or something when it's taking place three or four minutes down the road in a location that's already familiar to them so right. we're in that kind of line of thinking at the moment um that being said we're in an interesting situation with this church in bolton bolton is about 25 minutes northwest of Vaughan or 20 minutes northwest of Vaughan. traffic is horrendous here so it depends on the day um highway seven by the 400 is really bad um and so anyways to go um I'm actually looking at my window right now in the direction of Bolton. Chris can see this on the video. <laughs> um, and so um, what's happened there is there's an existing uh, Christian and Missionary Alliance church. They've been around for about 25 years. And the past couple of years, they just went through a number of challenges up until the point where their lead pastor resigned uh, in the fall of, of 2017. And so we were already set up to come in and do a partnership where we were going to say, we're going to support the lead pastor as it stands um, by providing the preaching and some other infrastructure kinds of things there. Now, he resigned from his position. He's no longer in the scene. But we decided, the elders of Bolton Alliance decided, along with Upper Room, to continue in this partnership. And so what that looks like is um, VJ, Upper Room's lead pastor, preaches in Vaughan. I preach in Bolton. And then the next Sunday, we switch and preach the exact same message to the other congregation. Um, and so we've been giving home group uh, leadership. Uh, 
I meet with their elders on a regular basis. We have a, a lead team of volunteers that I interact with, oversee the finances, and and basically uh, help the youth youth volunteers do what they're doing. And so, basically, instilling some of the structure and strategy and vision of upper room, some of the care and you know resources that we have into the church in. Um, in Bolton, and so now Bolton Alliance is actually working towards making uh, having a vote in April about whether or not they will actually totally amalgamate and totally become part of Upper Room Church, which means they would, you know, uh, their elders board would dissolve as a charity. They would dissolve all of their members would go through a process of becoming a, a members of Upper right. Room, but it would remain Upper Room Bolton, and then we'd have Upper Room Vaughn and Upper Room King and Upper Room Newmarket and Upper Room yeah. Scarborough. Room Hamilton or wherever we go, yeah. Um, you know, just start naming all the places off. So uh, <laughs> that's kind of more the line of where we are. So we've got this idea where we've got congregants in certain places that we want to reach their friends, family, their people that don't know Jesus, but then there are also a number of churches in the GTA that are struggling and having a harder time, and we're not opposed to coming alongside them and saying, hey, for the sake of the kingdom, um, it's not about our castle, it's not about our name, we're not trying to franchise, it's just about reaching people with yeah. with uh, you know, for the sake of Jesus. And so, um, so that's, that's part of it underneath that lies, you know, our motivation for that lies in that our belief is that, uh, we think that church churches are the strongest form of evangelism. Mm -hmm. And that is because if a church is doing holistic ministry, where they're reaching kids, youth, adults, seniors, um, where they're doing a variety of programs and meeting a bunch of needs that just creates a whole bunch of on ramps or opportunities for people to hear about Jesus in the mix of all that. And so, yes, we take care of their felt needs, but as they're taking care, as we're taking care of their felt needs, they're hearing about Jesus, who meets all of our needs and makes us a whole person. And so, um, that's part of why we want to just expand to as many cities as we can. We also believe underneath all of this is that salvation, or rather, churches are are for the salvation of souls and they're for the redemption of cities. And so, nice. churches go and they proclaim the good news, and people come to know Jesus, and their lives are transformed. And so, what that means is. You know, someone who comes in and gets their life transformed by Jesus becomes a better citizen because now they're using their money and they're serving, they're using their money to care for the needs in their city. They're being sacrificial with that. They're using their time and being sacrificial with that. And so that has a direct impact on on um, on the cities as well. And so there's a church out west that I'm connected to, and they're, they're looking at purchasing a plot of land. And so they were at City Hall and zoning for that that. that uh, that plot of land would have to be changed to a place of worship and while they're in there making their case like an impossible thing really because they could have put houses there or a business and made tons of money on on the taxes that they would get if you put a church it's not going to work out quite the same and um, <laughs> as they were doing the spiel it goes to an open mic for people in the community to talk about uh, to talk about you know what they feel about this thing happening and, and person after person one person says I know that church they help my brother get off drugs uh, or I know that church their youth pastor talked my kid into staying in school or, I know that church my kids went to their day camp and loved it and so it has just by being present there's an, in, in doing you know effective ministry yeah. there's a direct impact on the community at large now whether or not all those people the brother who was saved from you know got off drugs whether or not he was saved by Jesus I don't know that how that story continues but the fact is that guy being off drugs and living a more healthy life is still a win for the church yeah so that kind of uh, that's kind of you know some of our motivation uh, for all that and, and this is really you know what I'm what I'm part of most of my thinking that I get to do during the week which is like and this is like the, the greatest thing ever do I know what I'm doing usually not usually I don't have a clue <laughs> which is what makes it so exciting yeah yeah <laughs> No, and uh, just that little bit there where it's uh, 
church being present in the community and having an impact is so important. I remember a couple of years ago when I was at, when I was still at Calvary, it was, I think, a year or two after you left, uh, the church was applying for a grant for uh, money for the summer day camp, which we'll see how that goes this year with the new laws and everything, but that's, that's a side combo. Um, we had... They had reached out to a local politician, uh, Craig Stevens. He was the the NDP member in that riding, and I've talked to people in the church who are like, "Oh, the NDP, they're they're so far left. They hate the church. You never vote." Blah 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 blah. And he was like, "Give them more." I think he gave Calvary double what they were appealing for because he's like, "No, you guys do so much for the community. You got the day camp. You got the drop in. You've got this, this, and this. You guys do so much." So. Yeah. Love see I love hearing that the church is actually like impacting the community. So that story there and I I agree with you. Is my that's my long way of saying like I get where you're coming from and I agree. <laughs> yeah. Um how do you determine uh to pre what to preach about every week, man? Um we use uh basically it's like a magic eight ball and we just shake it up every week and whatever no that's not true. That's a terrible joke. <laughs> we uh VJ pastor and I, we work through, uh, we basically have everything from now until Christmas of this year Wow! Uh, sorted out. We've got all, all of our series picked out. And so we are, we take more of a topical approach mm-hmm. um, to our preaching style. And so, uh, I mean, we still go to, it's all rooted in scripture. We just take the topic and we, you know, exegete the culture. We, uh, you know, try to contextualize things, understand what's happening in our world, and then help people see that, man, this is directly, the Bible has always spoken about this. So it's nothing new. Yeah. Um, for example, this past weekend I preached on you know uh, healthy media consumption and uh, the idea of how that's directly connected to our holiness and I went to first uh, Thessalonians chapter 4 where he says this is the will of God your sanctification and if you're going to be a holy person then abstain from sexual immorality don't take advantage of other people and don't lust for people power or things so all the things that we, we have in the problems we have in this world there's the topic and it was already talked about 2,000 years ago so that's kind of the approach we take nice plan these things out we typically do uh, eight week long ser- uh, series, sermon series, mm-hmm. and then we do a two or three week or one month little smaller series in the middle, and then back to a longer one. Um, and so uh, that's that's the habit that we're in. We, for example, in the fall, we did a series on. Uh, it was a topical series, seemingly topical series called Foreigners. Basically, the idea being, what does it mean to live a life in this world, to be a Christian living in this world where we feel like we're a foreigner, like things are not the way they're supposed to be? Mm-hmm. But what it really was was a chapter by chapter walkthrough of the book of Daniel. So, the idea of a modern day Babylon and stuff. So, that's kind of nice. the way we come at it. We, I mentioned already, we're talking to people who we who are skeptical, people who've been de-churched, uh, people who have a lot of preconceived notions about what the church is for better or worse, and we just try to be authentic and real in talking about that. So we plan all these things out. We assign our our, our topics and we assign our our sermon ta- or uh, scriptural texts, and then we preach to each other every Thursday. So on. Thursday, if I'm preaching that Sunday, the new one, because we do this every other week thing, yeah, alternate yeah. other church, um, and let me tell you, the first couple of months of figuring this out was like, we didn't know where we were, we thought we were going to drive to the wrong building, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, now what we do is, if, uh, for example, if I'm preaching this Sunday a new one, I will have preached on Thursday, 
to our discipleship pastor and to our lead pastor, and they basically have a free-for-all to kind of cut it up and critique it and say, well, what about this idea? And maybe we want to kind of get rid of that stuff and elevate this other idea. Um, and then, you know, we take the rest of Thursday afternoon and, and Friday morning on our own to finish it up. Mm-hmm. And basically it hits the printer <clears throat> Friday at noon, and that's when I start, you know, marking it up and memorizing it. So by Sunday, I've already gone through it out loud probably four or five times. Yeah. Uh, practicing it, and um, I've got it about 85, 80% probably memorized with the exception of you know quotes and, and certain more lengthy things I've got to refer back to. So yeah. that's, that's kind of how we do it. And then we also bring in a, a creative team. So around Easter, for example, we had a creative team meeting about a month ago uh, or two months ago from when this might go live. Um, anyways, January, a couple months before Easter, where we just talk through ideas and themes and we pray and we say, God, what is it that you have for our church? Where should we be emphasizing? Is there a particular text or a concept that you want us to uh, focus on? And um, and then we you know spent we allow that team to speak into the process and say well you know what if you guys did a tag team teaching so instead of just one of you preaching you guys did ten minutes ten minutes ten minutes or five 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 and then a conversation and so they just speak into that and, and that helps us get a broader understanding of of, of what um, our church uh, where our church is at so after Easter we're doing a series on. Um, uh, on uh, it's called being human and it's basically about what does it mean to be a man what does it mean to be a woman uh, what is God's design for marriage and, and what about this sex and gender conversation gender fluidity and so as we get ready to talk about that we're having little kind of chats with different people in our congregation just to get a feel a sense of where we're all at yeah so talking about what's relevant we're not allowing the congregation to dictate what we speak about because I don't know, I mean, we're not just trying to itch ears or scratch yeah. itchy ears, but rather yeah. what we're doing is we're saying, here's what we kind of see as being major issues in our culture. And and um, and so just to make sure that we're kind of on the right track and then, you know, God is good and all of that. And he, he works and he's, he's led us to, to be relevant as far as, as long as I've been around anyway. So, I mean, to be honest with you, as long as you're talking about Jesus and the, and the good news of hope for the world, you're always relevant because, I, I mean, unfortunately our world is so broken. There's always a need for hope. Yeah. So as long as you can land there, you're always relevant in a sense. That's a, that's a crazy awesome approach. Um, I love it. I love yeah. it. I had to get over myself, man. And I think that, to be honest with you, this would be very challenging for a lot of preachers because so many preachers are doing such a wide variety of things that they don't even have the time in the week to dedicate as much as they would like to. Um, yeah. That's not a criticism. That's just the reality no. of how ministry is. Yeah. Um, but then the other thing is that they don't always have someone that they, that will listen to them, mm-hmm. um, and or they're concerned, and so it goes live on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday afternoon, whenever you preach to your congregation, your church congregation, and you might get a few good job pastor punches in the shoulder. You might have a handful of people who say, "Yeah, really, you know, you really spoke to me today, or God really spoke to me," and all that's awesome. I love that. You might get a few emails that say, "You're a clown. You shouldn't ever, you know, you were all <laughs> wrong about that," and blah blah blah. Um, so there's almost a defense mechanism because it's like, well, this is the first time anyone's hearing it out loud. And once it's said, it's said. Yeah. What happens here is like, well, no, what, when I go in on Thursday afternoons, they're going to like grace, graciously tear it apart. And it's not <laughs> because they think I'm bad. Yeah. It's because they just want, we want to make it better. And we want a communal discernment process. Yeah. Um, we want a communal discernment process to ensure that it's not just one voice that speaks in. I'm the 
I am the Lord your God from Sinai speaking, blah, 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 blah. It's nothing like that. It's like, yeah. no, we've all worked on this together, we've, and we've sent a, sensed the general unity in, the, in, in what we believe God is asking us to do. So it's been, it's been awesome. I've had to get over myself, throw my ego out, um, or at least misplace it for a while. I don't know where I put that. <laughs> ego, but, but sure, I'm sure I'll find it eventually. <laughs> ego has an interesting way of doing that, yeah. And uh, I, I had a similar thing when I was at Youth Center, just because I had never done the preaching aspect so gary was like you got to run it by me you got to run it through me which for me in the end i love doing that just because on certain weeks where i'm like all right gary we're we're gonna be talking about homosexuality this week i'm like all right when i hear something from the church kids parents on sundays which guaranteed i will and i did i'm like i can i've got people to point to to be like look we it wasn't just on the seat of, on the fly seat of my pants kind of thing like something I worked on something right. Gary went through something emo from the missions committee was here and there and he gave me the thumbs up on like absolutely yeah and then so it's not one voice in it when I like during the second year I was all like I want the volunteers to start preaching more because I don't want it to be the Chris show it was guys send it to me uh, like send it to Gary of course but send it to me as well I'd like to like I'd like to read through it and get the idea and then also it's like let's work on this together yeah. so then I get that entirely and I, I love that I love that approach um this one's always a fun one. Are there any resources, pastors, authors, theologians, that you learn from that you'd like like to recommend people to check out? Yes, there are. <laughs> Next question. No, you want me to tell you what? <laughs> um, <laughs> the, uh, I mean, I'll just tell you what kind of stuff I read. There's yeah. so much good stuff. Like, if I mean, where there's just so much good stuff out there. There's a lot of junk too, but even the bad stuff still will help you. You know, frame your own position. So it can be a roadmap for what not reading. to do. I mean, if we're talking about like preachers and stuff, the guys that I tend to follow along are Mark Clark, who's a guy from a church, uh, village church in BC. Uh, I listen to Tim Keller, not on a weekly basis, but semi regularly. Um, I think I have all of Tim Keller's book. He's been actually really helpful in helping me understand what it means to, uh, what contextualization is. Mm. Tim Keller will talk about contextualizing the gospel is um, giving the Bible's answers to the questions that the culture is asking yeah um, and so that's helped us in our preaching model as well there's a guy named Joe Thorne he's from a, uh, a church in um, St. Charles Illinois um, and I listen to him on a podcast where he just talks about theology and stuff but I listen to his preaching as well uh, for five and a half years I sat under the preaching of Charles Price um, at People's Church and so I, I often go back and reference his sermons and then our lead pastor Vijay Krishnan is um uh, a fantastic um, communicator, not just because he speaks well, but he just had, God has given him an incredible mind to just have a great perspective to see things from such a different way. You might, we might all look at something, you know, this way, yeah, and I'll say, yeah, but what about this? And look at it from the total other side, and that just gives you such a depth of clarity. Yeah. So I appreciate him. By means of theologians, I mean I don't know. Everyone's a theologian, I guess, in a sense. If you have one thought about God, even that if God doesn't exist, you're still that's a theological thought, I guess. Um, somebody said once so um, I don't know right now like if you're talking about old school people I read John Wesley often I read his sermons uh, I read some of his thinking um, uh, and I, I like him I basically bought a box set with everything he ever wrote and I'm slowly making my way through that I also like reading Charles Spurgeon stuff Spurgeon, Spurgeon yes and Wesley, Spurgeon and Wesley like they would be have very um, 
robust conversations with each other, if not arguments, <laughs> um, you know, just over the differences in their theology. But um, both of them have been uh, influential uh, for me. And then in terms of other stuff, there's um, Ed Stetzer in terms of missiology and hmm. thinking through church planting and revitalizing churches and that kind of stuff. Ed Stetzer and Daniel M. Daniel I. M. Uh, are both amazing thinkers and so I follow their podcast called the New Churches uh, podcast this book which uh, is called multi-church which I'll show you Chris nobody else can see that but <laughs> multi-church um, exploring the future of multi-site just talking about you know nice what, what, what why should we go to multi multiple church expressions and, and that, that kind of stuff um, so yeah that's what I find Log- Logos Bible software is always open on my computer um, I use that for everything. Yeah. Um, even the free stuff is good, but if you have some money to invest in that, um, worthwhile. And uh, I'm just looking around my office now. Um, oh, there's a lot of other ones, but those are the ones I tend to reference. In terms of commentaries on a weekly basis, I use Matthew Henry. I use the New Testament Preacher's Commentary. Um, and then I have a bunch of like one-off pulpit series books for depending on what passage I'm using. Nice. But I typically reference Matthew Henry, uh, who's again another old guy, Presbyterian dude, um, on a regular basis. So awesome. Well, uh, I'll be honest. One of the reasons I love this uh, this question, I I ask everybody this question, is mm-hmm. you get a different answer. Like right. you, some you'll run into, but then yeah. also you do get a different answer. So then for me, I might recommend people like, oh, I. I I don't agree with everything he says, but I still like J-Pipes. I, I recommend Chandler. I recommend Francis Chan. But then you get stuff about church planting. You get Timothy Keller. You get all these all these guys. So it's just, it's great. Uh, yeah, my, rec- my recommendation would be, like, read something old and read something new. I typically have, like, five books going all at once. Wow. And they're not all theology. I read a lot of uh, leadership stuff, too. Mm. So I'm like, just thinking how to look at my shelf. Simon Sinek. Um, has you know he has this whole find your start with why find your why you can't actually do anything of value in this life until you know why you're doing what you're doing and so those are secular writers but hugely beneficial for yeah. church leaders to be thinking I think one of the problems we have in churches is that we don't we're not innovative enough we're not hmm. we're not pursuing these these ideas enough we get trapped in all this other busy church work stuff but um, so that's been helpful if you read something that was written like last year or this year, and yeah. then read something that was 200 years ago, especially if you're preaching. Like, we're part of a, an, an incredibly old tradition. Um, so to be exposed to a variety of things, of what people have thought about our, our faith uh, for generations, for literally hundreds and, and, and thousands of years, um, is just a great opportunity we have. So to not do that is a big miss. Yeah. You know, to think of everything that was written in the last 10 years is the clearest stuff we have on theology. It's not... It's not necessarily true, just as much as I can't go to John Wesley and find every answer either because he wouldn't be able to exegete our culture today uh, because he didn't live in it. So you need a mix of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I want to be respectful of your time because I know you got to sure. go in a couple minutes. Uh, so I'm going to dro- jump down to two questions for you. Sure. Um, back in November, you were part of a youth conference at Tyndale, which mm-hmm. is awesome like i i've seen you do stuff at today's teens when i was taking you there and you got to be a pan you were a panel not a panel speaker but you got to do stuff there what was it like being uh at the youth conference in tyndale and uh how did the the talk go yeah i think they called it the tyndale youth ministry leadership conference or something like that had some really long convoluted name but um (laughs) it was the first conference of its type that they had held that was only attended by people who were 
serving in youth ministry. That's it. Wow. So different than other conferences where there might be kids uh, and leaders there as well, or just for paid staff and or stuff just for volunteers. This was just for them. And so um, in my workshop was all youth pastors and paid or voluntary positions. And I was invited to talk about ministering to LGBTQ plus uh, teens. And so what one thing that I loved about that opportunity, I mean, any opportunity to talk about Jesus is amazing. But one thing I liked about this was I was able to really go specifically focused onto, okay, youth pastors working with teenagers and their parents, here's exactly what we can talk about. It was really fine-tuned. Nice. So I think that's what helped it be more practical across all the various workshops that they held. Yeah. The other thing I learned, um, or what was amazing, was that all of the questions, essentially I did an hour and a half of Q&A. I had some content, but I just went to Q&A because I sensed that was the desire in the room. And I kind of referred back to the content I had prepared, was that nobody asked a hypothetical question. Every question that was asked was, this is a real situation I'm in right now with this teenager who is identifying as whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was just so telling to me that we're in a day where um, it's no, like growing up for me, I don't think I, when I was a kid, I don't think I actually knew a gay person. Yeah. Uh, We had, uh, you know, uh, an estranged family member that was in a relationship, but he wasn't often talked about. And that was just the reality of our family, unfortunately, Um, because, you know, culturally didn't know how to deal with it. Religiously, my parents weren't sure what they believed about it and all that kind of stuff. And so now we live in a day where it's not uncommon um, and it's everywhere. We all know somebody, a family member, a close friend. And so that was encouraging to me just in terms of the relevancy of the conference that it wasn't let's just talk about theology and big ideas and stuff that might be, you know, yeah. nice to talk about. It was like, no, no, this is a real issue. And like, please help me because I'm actually having coffee with a student on Tuesday. Can you help me? Like, what do I say when I sit down to me five things? So I was really encouraged by that. Um, and I mean, a good friend of mine, his wife was part of putting it all together. So I was just super proud of Rebecca and all the work that she did too. It was, it was really great, a really great day. That's awesome, man. And that's, uh, I got to pick your brain more about that at another sure, time. Yeah. Um, all right. Okay. So, and final question, uh, what would you say to someone who is thinking about pursuing a vocational career? in in ministry like be it as a youth pastor or more along the lines of like teaching pastor or any of the stuff you've done because you've had a lot of hats uh, a lot of ministry hats mm-hmm. yeah um i think a good a question we we should ask is why do you want to do it or why are you sensing this or why do you want to like why do you want to do it why <laughs> what's your primary <laughs> motivation um yeah you know, it goes like, I, I, my conviction is that every person, every Christian, at the very least, should be in a discipleship relationship with somebody who's a little bit older than them, who's saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. And that person should have freedom to speak into your life and say, hey, here's an area where I think you are just so strong and so smart and like this is your wheelhouse you should be pursuing there or you know what hey i actually don't think that's the direction you should be going and we all need to be in that yeah someone has like a holistic holistic access to our lives to ask us whatever um whatever they want about us so i think that's probably where we should start so i mean like if you're just trying to and what's your why about getting into ministry somebody else can help you figure out what that why is that's what i'm saying yeah um if you want to get in because you have something to say and you just want to preach my question would be like well do you have something to say and if you do how do you know yeah if you're the only person that thinks you have something to say 
So for example, I'm actually interacting with a young guy right now, he's 17, he's about to graduate high school and he feels it's God's call in his life to be a preacher and so I'm mentoring and discipling him a little bit and um, the conversation within a couple of weeks went to, so can you help me get speaking gigs? And I said, no, I won't help you get speaking gigs because I don't actually believe that's what preaching the gospel is about. If you are actually called to be a preacher, you will find yourself preaching all the time. And you don't just preach when you have a big crowd or in a church or at a form, uh, formal event. You find yourself preaching to yourself. You find, you know, kind of working yeah. through the ideas that you have. You find yourself saying, talking to friends about theology and about ideas and culture and this stuff. You are sharing your faith with your friends at school or on your hockey team or whatever else. And so I have seen that there's this idea of young guns wanting the platform, um, wanting a platform, and it's like, well, do you deserve that platform? Like, have you earned that platform? Now, listen to me, okay? I'm being really, I want to be really careful with what I'm saying. One of the reasons I'm saying this so plainly and so boldly is because I went through a couple of years where I did want to be the main speaker. I thought everybody was a dummy, and I could just do it right, and God broke me over that. Yeah. Um, he really brought me to my knees. That I get to be in this position right now, is unbelievably humbling mm -hmm. and if for some reason I, I it stopped today i would say god thank you for the opportunity i had for five months to be in this position i wouldn't say if something's wrong with my church or blah 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 it would be you no know, thank you for this so i think that you know my my story has been i've always been invited into things i've never presented myself and said hey i'm available or you know marketed myself really and some people do that and it works for them whatever um, but uh, what I'm saying is I think that if it's really a calling, then you're going to find yourself doing it all the time already before it becomes even a vocation. So if you want to get into youth ministry, like my question is, are you already serving mm -hmm. as a volunteer in youth ministry? Um, if you're at school trying to get a degree in youth ministry, but you have never served, like that's not a good idea. <laughs> I, don't think, <laughs> um, that, I don't think so. I think yeah. that it should be something you're already doing. If you think that if you have a calling to doing street outreach, um, it's not you're only going to do that when you get the job that pays you to do it. You're already doing that thing, and then the opportunity comes for it to become. So that would be that. You know, figure out your why. What's your true motivation? I would yeah. say that's one thing. Um, and then really, it's like do it. Go ahead and do it. Yeah. Do it without getting paid. Like the Apostle Paul gives us a perfect picture of this because he says plainly, "I know what it's like to have lots, to have money, to have bread in my bag, to have clothes on my back." I also know what it's like to have absolutely nothing where I'm running around like naked because and trying to survive for my life because I've had everything taken away from me and at the end of that still worth it yeah so go and do it and if you're not being paid to do it still do it and if you do find yourself getting paid to do it keep doing it yeah if you're only doing it for the money go find any other job that's gonna pay you more money <laughs> yeah exactly you know well, uh, like, you don't like get into life. you don't get into ministry for the money <laughs> no you do not do that for no. sure you get into ministry because there's a, a, a burning inside your life you don't know what else you could possibly do with yourself other than this yeah um, you know and so I often think what else what other job could I do I don't know I don't have schooling so I don't know if I can go get a real job uh, you know, sorry, not a real job. I don't think I'm getting a professional job. No, I, I, yeah. Uh, but I could get a real job doing all sorts of other things. And it's like, well, what would I do? What could I do? And I even know that if I went and, like, you know, was working at a golf shop, like a dream of mine is to work at a golf shop and, like, clean golf carts and then get free golf one day a week or something like that. It's not a big dream. It's probably attainable. <laughs> but I know that if I did that, I would still be miserable. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't be fulfilling to me. So is, is, teach, is, is proclaiming the good news of Jesus fulfilling to you if all you could ever do is just talk about Jesus is that enough for you or do you need something more do you have enough of a, an obsession with the way that Jesus has transformed your life 
to spend all of your time doing that already? Is there a chance that you would get kicked out of your school program for talking about Jesus because you love talking about him so much that you're willing to do it no matter the risk? Is it possible that you know you're you you're you're getting brought into the HR department at work because you keep <laughs> trying to pray with your coworkers? Um, because you're just so obsessed with Jesus. If though, if you're answering yes to some of those questions, then maybe you're like on the direction towards ministry, yeah. because vocational ministry, because you're already doing it right now. Um, but don't just think of it as a, a profession that's some um, you know to get into. Um, yeah, there's so much more that I believe God doesn't doesn't us beforehand. So thank you, uh, thank you so much for uh, sharing that with me, and uh, I I agree wholeheartedly. Um, we skipped questions because uh, I know you got to go, so we're gonna we're gonna get you back on, man. Like, sure, I would we, love that. Yeah, we we got to do this again. It was Absolutely. it was a blast. Um, I know you're running late, so <laughs> uh, yeah, Dave, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time. I can't wait to see you in a couple weeks. I uh, will mm-hmm. be uh, posting the link to the upper room, so uh, sure. listeners, if you want to check out Dave's sermons, I highly encourage it. Um, he is actually one of my favorite pastors. On the website itself, I've got my go-to pastors, and I've said it's like Francis Chan, it's it's Platt, it's uh, Chandler, and at points still Driscoll. But then locally, it's people at my own church, Steve and Dave. Dave's a guy I've got to track, and he he the Lord uses him to reach people. So I highly encourage you to uh, to seek out. Dave's sermons and VJ's I've also listened to and enjoyed thoroughly as well. Um, so definitely check him out. Check out the upper room. Dave, thank you so much again for joining us, man. Thanks, brother. Love you, man. Love what you're doing with One Cross Radio. It's a good thing, so keep it going. Thank you so much, and I will, and we will have you back on. Listener, thanks for listening. Share if you can. Have a wonderful day, and God bless, my friends. Take care. <laughs>